people. Uh, if you just put your name on there, you'll get put on a list. And the more people that sign up, then the, the less frequently uh, those individuals have to do it. But we really appreciate uh, those that are serving in that way and helping to provide that time for all of us. We really thank you for that. Uh, next Sunday morning, we have uh, the Lord's Supper uh, going to be served in the morning. And uh, there's a special collection for our building fund. Uh, details about that are in the bulletin. And then uh, just also wanted to uh, emphasize the opportunity uh, for prayer uh, for anybody that would like to join us before uh, the worship service. We meet at 845 uh, to be praying uh, for uh, God's work in the service. Anybody is welcome to come to that time of prayer if you'd like to and would encourage you to do that. Again, more details in the bulletin. And then this coming Friday, February 3rd, we have our game night. A great time just to fellowship with one another. We encourage you to bring your favorite game and appetizer to share and uh, just look forward to a great time together uh, with one another and invite whoever you'd like to that. It's a good time to get to know a few people. So uh, that's all my announcements. Let's take this moment, prepare our hearts as we come before our God. Jesus promised us that in this world you will have trouble. The psalmist reminds us that there will be weeping, and yet joy comes in the morning. Here from Psalm uh, 30, our call to worship this morning. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Well, let's give thanks to his holy name amid the throng of worshipers as we stand.
Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you and adore you for who you are and for what you have done for sinners like us. We ask that your Spirit would accomplish your amazing work of making us more and more like Jesus, that you would draw us to yourself in a very special and powerful way. We praise you this morning for the very privilege that we have to come before the throne of God above. Amen. seated. Well, as we are walking through the Ten Commandments, we come now to our second uh, commandment, 
And uh, after I read the commandment, we will confess our faith together from the larger catechism, trying to understand what duties are required uh, in the second commandment. And um, we would need to ask the Holy Spirit to prick our consciences of what are some things that we need to be confessing uh, to our God. And so as I, I read this and as we confess our faith together, let me just encourage you to be uh, offering that silent prayer for the Spirit to lead you uh, as well. Hear now the word of the living God. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let us confess our faith together, answering this question. What are the duties required in the second commandment? The duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has instituted in his word particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, and hearing of the word, the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God and vowing unto him, as also the disproving, detesting, opposing, all false worship, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. Well, let us take this moment for a time of uh, personal and private prayer uh, as we come before our God to confess. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to acknowledge the incredible importance of your worship, the fact that we were created as creatures with that exact design. We will find no greater satisfaction than when we know you, are reconciled to you by faith in Jesus Christ, and that we bring you the worship that you are worthy of. Father, in all the ways that we distract ourselves from that, in all the ways that we compromise your worship because of other priorities in our lives, Lord, we are confessing these things to you and acknowledge uh, that we meet with the living God, the most important meeting we could possibly have every single Sunday morning and evening. Lord, there are so many other people in this world that we consider so important and we prepare maybe weeks and months on end for certain meetings, and yet when we meet with the living God, Lord, are our hearts prepared for that? We ask that you would forgive us for taking it lightly, uh, forgive us for the ways that we uh, do not give you our full attention, and just would ask that you would overcome our sin, drawing us near uh, to your wonderful grace, um, to yourself through your grace, 
uh, because of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Lord gives to us his promise of pardon from Psalm 78. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. And as we think about the fact that our God did pour out that wrath upon his one and only son, Jesus Christ, in the place of sinners like us, we come before him to celebrate uh, not only that grace, but the demonstration that he is our only holy God. Let us stand and praise him together.
please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we lift up praise and thanks to you for this cold winter morning. We give you thanks that we can gather as your bride to worship before your throne and for the freedom to do so. We thank you for the, this body of believers here at Redeemer. Thank you for bringing us together as a church family from so many different places and backgrounds. It's encouraging to see the many acts of mercy taking place amongst this body. We give you thanks for the care shown to one another um, during the hills and the valleys of life. We thank you for each of the ministries happening right now, the Bible studies, men's and women's ministries, life groups, jail ministry, missions, uh, and more. We pray these would continue to be fruitful and you would use them to expand your kingdom right here in Ada, in the greater Grand Rapids area, and more. And now, as we gather these tithes and offerings, we pray that you would take them and, and bless them and use them uh, to build your kingdom. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, you have the opportunity now to come before our gracious God who answers prayer. 
And we've seen lots of different answers to prayer in our church's life, and we look for him to continue uh, his wonderful, faithful uh, answers. So let us come and pray together. Most gracious Father, as we acknowledge our great need, none of us are sufficient in ourselves, though we know that physically our bodies break down, uh, they get sick, we get diseases, we have uh, injuries, uh, and even death. Lord, we recognize our great need for you spiritually as well, that we know that left to ourselves, that we are dead in our sin, and we need the supernatural raising uh, from spiritual death to life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we would just ask that for all of us here uh, who know uh, friends, family members, neighbors who do not know you in a saving way, uh, Lord, that you would help us to be instruments in your hand to represent you well as faithful witnesses and uh, that you would help us to go forth and be uh, lights set on a hill uh, rather than covering uh, our light with a basket. Lord, help us to uh, demonstrate uh, your love uh, in word and in actions and point people uh, to the saving grace of Christ. And uh, we pray uh, for those uh, on our prayer list this morning for uh, Katie Newberg. Uh, she is still in the hospital uh, as they did another CT scan last night. We just pray that they can uh, rule out uh, any other uh, issues that she might be facing. And just thank you for the uh, tests that she's already had that reveal no ulcers or other causes of bleeding. And just pray that she'd be able to go home uh, today if it be your will. We also pray for uh, Louise Campfeist as she uh, has a... Uh, upcoming back surgery, Lord, that you would help um, as they are at work to um, just give her help with the, uh, her spinal cord uh, stimulator. And uh, we also ask for your comfort for her and for her sister and for the family and the loss of her uh, grandnephew. And uh, Lord, we know that you're the only one that can bring comfort to uh, the loss of life, but particularly one who is so young, uh, Lord, that you would just give grace and mercy to the whole family. We also pray for uh, Dorothy Biker, and uh, she is uh, dealing with pneumonia, and uh, we don't know uh, what you will do with this, whether you will heal her um, or not. Uh, we know that she is on hospice and that you would uh, give your care uh, to her, give strength to the whole family as they do their part to see to her needs, and uh, we just ask that your mercy would be so evident in her life, uh, whatever you would do in this circumstance. Uh, we also pray for uh, the Davisons as they're uh, uh, recovering from COVID and uh, others in our congregation who are recovering from COVID, Lord, that they would just know your mercy and your healing and your help uh, through this and that it would not lead to other complicating matters. We pray for Dwayne Torrance as he is also uh, struggling to come overcome a sinus infection. We give you praise that he has been doing better, uh, the meds working and you bringing healing and just pray that he would be able to get back to church very soon. We do pray for Richard Boma and his uh, recovery from stem cell uh, transplant and that all of that would go well for him, that there would not be any uh, complications, but that he would just be able to move forward with greater health. We pray also for Mickey Kite, Lord, that you would help in her uh, recovery as it's taken months uh, for her to gain the strength to continue uh, walking with her cane and just help her to have the confidence that uh, you will help her to, to continue with her mobility and that she would just know your presence and your care. And we pray for Zach Francois and our MAF workers, Lord, as they labor in Haiti uh, and are facing just so many difficulties. And uh, we just ask that you would protect them and help them to just be faithful in what they can do and know that you will work in them and through them. We pray for my mom, Clarice Lorp, as she is 
uh, just trying to work with the uh, doctors on the best uh, positive direction uh, for her healing. Uh, and we just ask for you to do that healing even beyond what doctors can do. Uh, heal her of the cancer if it be your will. We also pray for Gail Stahl as she continues her progress and that she would just uh, also know uh, your presence and your help and that she would be able to get past uh, this particular season very soon. We also pray for all the expectant parents, Lord, for the Oars and the Medemas, the Gronendikes and the Adams. Lord, we thank you for each of these little ones and we pray for their protection and for your help for the moms and for the dads, uh, that they would um, just their families would be uh, blessed in this uh, upcoming time of welcoming a little one into the world. We also pray for our sister church, New Life Fellowship in Holland. We pray for uh, Pastor Novak and for all those uh, who are serving in that church, the leadership and the ministry leaders, all those that are uh, part of that congregation, that you would help them to just faithfully serve you as they seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and that you would build them up in Christ. Uh, we also pray for our Supreme Court Justice, uh, Neil Gorsuch, and uh, we know that you alone can help uh, him and all of the justices to um, do their jobs in a way that would be a help uh, to those uh, that they, to the cases that they judge, and we pray that uh, you would help him to know he's accountable to the Supreme Judge, you, and uh, that, that as they would do their work, uh, that there would be uh, your mercy um, at work in our country. Father, we pray for um, all those serving in our military, for Derek and Chris, uh, Zach and David, uh, Eric, Ken, and Robert. We thank you for each one of them and how they serve in our military and uh, keep them safe and help them as they uh, serve our country well. We also pray for uh, those in Pakistan, uh, believers who are seeking to be faithful to uh, evangelistic efforts and how uh, the Islamic um, uh, uh, religious leaders uh, opposing uh, what they are doing. We just ask that your spirit would guide them um, in, in their faithfulness and that they would be wise in how they are resourcing all that you've given to them and that uh, we would just know uh, the power of your spirit working through them to bring your gospel to the nations. And we pray as your gospel goes forth this morning that you would bless Pastor Jeff, that you fill him with your spirit, that he would know uh, your presence and your power in a very special way and that you would give us each ears to hear, uh, hearts to believe, and wills to obey as we become more like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're turning to John chapter 5 in our continued series of sermons on John. <clears throat> Remember the big question that hangs above the, above the gospel of John is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Why should I be convinced that Jesus is the one to believe in, to put my hope and my trust in? So John chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. Again, I'd encourage you to follow along either in your Bibles or in the screen behind me. As I read these words of God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. 
And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Holy Father, you've preserved this word for us this morning, and you have promised in your word that your spirit would lead us into truth. In fact, Jesus made that promise before he ascended. He said that after he left, he would send his spirit who would lead us into all truth and, remind, and would remind us of the words that he spoke to us while he is here. And now we simply place ourselves before you. You are the living and triune God. You're the maker and sustainer of all things. You're redeemer. You are sanctifier. And we pray that whatever way you would choose to use your word this morning, we would listen, we would hear, and your spirit would do a great thing in each heart of those who are here this morning in this building and also those who are joining us over the internet. Father, you are able to do more even than we ask or imagine according to the riches of your grace in Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. The most interesting thing is that the man sat on that chair for his entire shift. And when he was finished with his shift, someone else came and sat in that chair for all of his shift. And every day of every week of every month, for years on end, there were people sitting in those chairs, in that chair, every hour of every day. <laughs> you might wonder, why were they sitting there? The reason they were sitting there is because the inmate inside of that cell was so dangerous to himself that unless someone was there watching him every moment of every day, that man would harm himself. He had already done so to the point you could barely recognize him. I remember the first time I walked past that cell and I asked that man sitting in that chair, why are you here? And he explained it to me. And I said, has this ever changed? And he said, it's never changed. I don't think it's ever going to change. This situation is hopeless. I can imagine... For the family, this man who was in this prison cell, they also felt like he was hopeless. I'm imagining that because as far as I know, he never had anyone come to visit him. The only people who ever saw him were the guards who were in charge of keeping him from harming himself. 
In fact, there were many men and women in that prison who never had visitors. In fact, they were there by themselves. And one of the most common things I heard was, this is hopeless. And it's not just for prisoners or those who are seriously ill that there hangs over you this sense it's hopeless. There are points in everyone's life, maybe even at the point of your life this morning, where it feels like it's hopeless. There's really no chance it's going to change. You're simply where you're at and might get a little better, life might get a little worse, but this is life now. And from this point forward, you better adjust because there will be no change. I'm entirely confident when we read John chapter 5, that was the attitude of this man whom Jesus met. And this morning, what I'd like to do is explain to you how this man's life changed. And even more than how this man's life changed, how the compassionate power of Jesus Christ changes lives. So that this is more than just a story of one man in one place many years ago who had his life changed. No, the compassionate power of God in Jesus Christ continues to change lives. There are two things I want to explain to you from this passage. The first is simply explaining to you what this compassionate power of God in Jesus Christ is. And then the second thing I want to explain for you is something that may seem very, very strange. In fact, you might have noted it as I worked through this passage, read through it with you. And that is where Jesus says to this man, be careful lest you sin in a worse way than before. I want to explain to you what that's about, what the worst sin is, because it helps us understand the compassionate power of God in Jesus Christ as well. And it's meant to give you hope. When this passage opens, there is a time and there is a place that is noted. You see that, verse 1 it says, Now after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After this, of course, ties back to the passage that came before, where Jesus heals an official son, a man who comes asking, really commanding Jesus to heal his son, soon becomes humble in his attitude and he sees that he needs Jesus. And it is from that perspective of humility that John introduces us then to another healing story. And the place in which this story takes place is in Jerusalem because there is a festival there. We don't know which festival it is. John doesn't know, but there's a festival. The reason why there would be many people in Jerusalem And in Jerusalem at this time, no matter what the festival was, there was a place called the Sheep Gate. And near that Sheep Gate was a very large pool. In fact, it is believed to be two pools. If you're wondering how large these pools were, if you're small, I'll tell you how large they were. They were about as large as a football field each and about 20 feet deep immense pools. These were pools that were used by the people of Jerusalem to clean themselves. But this story says there's something very interesting about who was around those pools. It wasn't just those who came to clean themselves. There were also porches around these pools. 
And it was common for people who were in need to gather at this place where so many people from Jerusalem would come and those who were in need would sit there and beg for help. So if you can just imagine in your mind a place with many, many people, crowds of people, and among those who were in the crowds were those who came to beg for help. Sir, can you help me? Do you have a little something to eat? Do you have money that you can spare? So that the sounds of this pool were people splashing, maybe even having a good time, along with the pitiful cries of those who need help. And there was a legend that was attached to this pool. It was believed that at a certain point there was an angel who came down and he would stir the waters. And whoever would jump into the pool first, if you were sick or or needed some help of some sort, you were blind, you were lame, you would jump into that pool and the first person to jump into that pool would be healed. That was the legend. Imagine having no other way of possibly hoping that life would change except to sit by a pool and when the water was stirred, when the legend seemed to come true, that you would jump in first. That was your only hope of healing. And Jesus, the passage says, sees a man there. He had been an invalid, no way to take care of himself, to get around for 38 years. He could not help himself now. He could not help himself. For all of his life, he was an invalid. And there seemed to be no change that would ever happen that would make his life different in the future. To everyone else who was there, it was simply that man there again, 38 years. He had struggled most of his adult life. He had probably come to the sheep's gate and sat by that pool begging for help, and hoping that someone would give. Can you imagine that kind of life? It may seem like a sad existence, really. That's what your life consists of every day, sitting next to a pool, begging for help, and hoping that if this legend came true, you could jump into the pool first and you would be healed. A sad existence pitiful existence, really no hope that anything will change. But the story says that along comes Jesus and he notices this man. There were likely many people there, but Jesus notices this particular man. Among all those who were sitting there hoping something would happen, begging for help, Jesus notices this man. And he asks the question that maybe seems ridiculous, if that's not disrespectful to our Lord. He asks the man, do you want to be healed? Can you imagine, do you want to be healed? Imagine in your mind, just for a moment, the thing that you wish would change the most. And I come to the, after the service to you and say... Do you want your financial difficulties to go away? Do you want your marriage to be restored? Do you want healing? Do you want your child to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Whatever it is that you think about the most, maybe you laid awake last night mulling over 
wishing, hoping that this thing would change. Imagine that I came to you after the service and I said, do you want that to happen? You'd say, Pastor, don't be ridiculous. Of course I do. It's the most important thing that I think about. Yes, I want to be healed. And Jesus simply says to the man, take up your bed and walk. And of all the incredible things that man expected when he went to the pool that day, he may have thought to himself, I hope someone gives me enough money to buy food, maybe even enough for tomorrow. He could have never imagined it as wildest dream that along would come Jesus, and Jesus would single him out and say to him, take up your bed and walk, and the man would be healed. It's an incredible story, isn't it? If you've read this before and you haven't been impressed with the surprise of this story, here it is. This is amazing. It's incredible. It's almost beyond your belief. But what I want you to see this morning in this passage is the thing that John the writer highlights. What John wants us to see is the compassion of Jesus, his mercy. He sees a man who's been written off by everyone who will never be able to walk. Someone who's barely enough to get enough to eat, to find enough to eat. Someone who is probably very lonely, likely despised in his society. And he asks him, do you want to be healed? This is not the official, the man of standing and of power at the end of John chapter 4. This is not someone who can give back to Jesus. You can imagine the crowds thinking, well, the official, naturally Jesus would want to do him a favor. It's all a matter of quid quo pro. He helps me, I'll help him. No, this man is on the other end of the societal spectrum. This man can offer nothing to Jesus. He is poor, he is lame. He's not even named in this story. And yet Jesus heals him. Others might not care, but Jesus does. And this is the most striking part of this passage. He is simply one lame man among many sick. Everyone else passes him by, but Jesus did not. Be struck this morning by the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus' command to this man to take up his bed and walk echoes an Old Testament passage that maybe you don't remember, but certainly if you were Jewish and you heard this story, you would have been struck. Isaiah 35 verse 6 says, And those who wait upon the Lord shall rise and leap like deer. In Jesus Christ, the separation between the predicament and God's power is removed. There's no distance between the power of God and the predicament of this man. Jesus brings those two together in a startling way. And I want you to hear the compassion of Jesus in this, in this passage, the power of Jesus applied in a compassionate way, that your attention is drawn to the mercy of your God, that He hears He sees. He knows. Jesus 
can heal. The emphasis is not simply on the fact that this man is healed. It is the spirit in which Jesus does so. Again, we might not know the man's name. We might not know anything else about him. In fact, after the story is finished, he largely disappears. We know nothing about him. As I was preparing this sermon, I can imagine I was thinking someday in eternal life, I hope to meet this man jumping and leaping and him saying to me, I'm the man that Jesus healed at the sheep gates. And we can rejoice with him that the mercy of our God applied to difficult circumstances. But here's the thing I want to say to you this morning. That's not just true for this man. It's not just true for him. The history of the church is made up of people where the powerful compassion of Jesus has been applied. You might look at your own life and say, well, there are many places I wish it'd be applied right now, Pastor. If you really would ask me after this sermon, where would you like to see it applied? And I told you, and it could be applied right here and right now, I would be ecstatic. The fact that it is not applied in every way in the way that we would desired, does not take away the fact that it is applied in ways that are startling and true. And unlike this man who sat in this prison cell and the guard who watched him day after day after day and said to me, there is no hope, in the compassionate power of Jesus Christ, there is hope. There is And it may not turn out to be the answer that you're exactly seeking. If you're ill this morning, and we prayed for a whole list of people just a moment ago who are ill, and you're on that list and you say to yourself, if only Jesus would walk by and say to me, you're healed and I'd be healed. Then I would see the compassionate power of Jesus Christ and I would believe. Let me tell you, friend, the Lord knows how to apply the compassionate power in exactly the way that you need. There are many testimonies of that. It's not just this man. It happens over and over again. And the Lord applies it in exactly the way that is appropriate for you. It is not that his character changes or his desire changes. No, the Lord uses the circumstances. Sometimes he does miraculous things that amaze us and surprise us. Other times he uses different ways of drawing us to himself and sanctifying us. But in every moment, what I want you to hear and see is this. He is a compassionate and powerful Savior. And ironically, perhaps, that is emphasized in the other half of our passage where we talk about the greatest sin. (laughs) I want to pause for just a moment. I was reading a book on homiletics, (laughs) and the man who was writing the book said, you know, it's really good practice for pastors sometimes to pause during their sermon and give a lighthearted story or some illustration that gives everyone some mental pause before they move on to the next thing. And I reflected and I thought, I don't know if I do that. Well, let me try something with you this morning. And it's not going to be lighthearted, I'm sorry. I want you to think with me about the greatest sin that you can imagine. 
What is the greatest sin that you can imagine? I'd be amazed if you didn't think of some sin that's been committed against you. Or maybe you think of something historical. In my mind, because of my family and especially my wife's family's history, I think immediately of people during World War II who were Nazi collaborators who would, who would point out there are people hiding in that home, there are people helping Jews in that place, go and get them, arrest them, bring them to the prison camp. In my mind, that is horrible. The deception is so deep. That sounds like a terrible sin to me. Maybe the sin that comes into your mind is different. Maybe it's someone who's deceived you personally. Maybe someone that you confided in and they weren't trustworthy. Maybe the sin is something else. Whatever that sin is, what is the greatest sin that your mind can imagine? Well, in this passage, Jesus points out (laughs) what I'm going to tell you I believe to be the worst sin. In order to understand that, you have to see how verse 18 ends with what strikes us is almost an incidental comment. It says at the end of verse 18, after Jesus heals a man, he heals someone. Can you imagine? Jesus says, take up your bed and walk, and the man stood up and walked. Amazing. After that, it simply notes in the text, and it was a Sabbath. You were like, okay, very nice to know. Let's move on. It didn't work that way. What we read afterward is that the Jews saw the man walking and they said to him, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? You know that's not supposed to happen. Now you might ask yourself the question, was that supposed to happen or not? Maybe we'll go down that trail a little bit. Would that be okay? You do know, of course, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says he rested on the seventh day. The fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments says that's a pattern that we all ought to follow. Six days of work and one of rest. That's a good pattern. It's not only a pattern that we know and we ought to practice. It's written into the very law of God. It's been something that God has commended to us as a people of God forever. The Jews knew this. And so the desire to keep the Sabbath day as holy meant the Jews went to great lengths to guard against anything that would offend the holiness of that day. Let me give you an example. Like carrying your bed on the Sabbath. (laughs) There were even rules about if you could pick up a child. That's okay. But if the child was holding something in his or her hand, that's no good. Shouldn't do that. You might think, well, that's rather silly, isn't it? That the Jews constructed these laws to guard the laws of God. At certain points, it went far beyond silly to offensive. But there's a reason why this story is crafted in this way. And it is because John, guided by the Spirit of God, is begging us to ask this important question as we read this account. The question's a simple one. It's this. Why do these Jews care more about carrying your bed on the Sabbath than the fact the man was healed? (laughs) Doesn't that strike you as strange? 
The man who could not walk for 38 years all of a sudden can walk and all the Jews can say is, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? It's not right. It would be like you becoming a millionaire, not commending that you play the lottery, but let's say that you did and you won $100 million. You walked in and your spouse says, I heard you, you won $100 million million today. Why are your shoes on the carpet coming into the house? You would say, what in the world? This small offense is so incomparable to the greatness of the news. Why are you asking? The contrast between the two is meant to alert us to something very important about the compassionate power of Jesus. What it's meant to illustrate for us is that there is a tendency that exists in the heart of every single person to observe the compassionate mercy of Jesus. Listen to this, friend. To see the compassionate mercy of Jesus applied in the lives of people and go by that quickly as though it does not matter. Do you know how easy that is? Do you want to see me really get passionate about something? I am struck with how often in the church of Jesus Christ we move very quickly beyond the fact that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are amazing demonstrations of the compassionate power of Jesus and yet we find the smallest things to point out in each other. Is that not true? Maybe you think, well, that's a bit much, Pastor. We're sitting here together. Maybe I should just ask you in your home... If you're married, if you have children, do you wake up in the morning next to your dear wife and say, thank you, Father, that you've given me this workmanship in Christ Jesus created to do good works. You have saved her out of darkness into light. You have transformed her life. Is that what you say to God? Or do you say, why isn't my wife more like this? When you see your children... Do you say, I see the Spirit of God at work in them? They are amazing. Can you imagine their hearts are cold and hard apart from the Spirit of God? But I see indications of the way that God is at work. Do you rejoice in that or do you say, and they refuse to pick up their room? It is not as though those things do not matter. Certainly the Sabbath is a fourth commandment. We ought to observe it. It is significant. It is important. Let me commend to you a day of worship and of rest. But when the commandment becomes more important than the compassionate mercy of Jesus Christ, our priorities are reversed and we become, may I say the word, legalists. Our desire is not that many would know this compassionate mercy of Christ. The desire is that more and more we've conformed to what I believe they ought to be doing. What is this great sin? Look at verse 14. Jesus finds this man in the temple after he has been healed. And Jesus warns the man to be careful lest something worse, something worse happens. Verse 14, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See that you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. You're like, well, what would be worse? The man was lame for 38 years. What could be worse than that? Is he now going to be blind and lame? (laughs) Is that what Jesus is going to do? Is he going to be punished? 
No, the way the passage is set up is not meant to lead to that conclusion. No, the way Jesus says, do not keep on sinning, means Jesus is not intending for us to think this man committed some sin that led to his lame condition or that there was some sin that he was harboring in his heart now. That because he was doing it meant there was an inevitable judgment to come. No, Jesus is speaking in general terms. He is speaking in grand terms. He is saying there is a sin that appeals to your hearts and make sure you do not fall into it because if you do, it would be worse even than being lame. What is the sin that Jesus is guarding this man against? What is the sin that Jesus is warning you against? In the flow of this passage, what makes most clear, what is made most clear, is that Jesus is contrasting the compassionate power that he possesses with the Jews who lose all sight of it. He is contrasting the mercy of Jesus Christ with the legalism of the Jews. What is the worst thing? that this man could do? What is the worst sin that we could commit? What is worse than a judgment that could lead to being lame? What is the worst thing that we could do? It is this. John is screaming it at us. You don't hear that here. And I'm not going to use my voice to do it, but this is what John is screaming. He is screaming the worst thing to do is to miss the powerful mercy of God in Jesus Christ. That's the worst thing that can happen. It really is the worst. The universal scope of Jesus' words is meant to tell the man not to sin by missing the powerful mercy of Jesus Christ. The man came to that pool that morning hoping for the supernatural stirring of the waters that he could jump in and heal His day, he would have thought at that moment, would be perfect if all of a sudden he could stand up and walk. And Jesus made that happen. But he did more than simply heal the man. What he did was show that man, the Jews, the world, and you and me as well, that he is a powerful mercy that is found nowhere else in the world. Do you notice how the Jews respond to this? They raise a theological objection. Jesus ends his conversation with the Jews who object. They say, how could you do this on the Sabbath? On the Sabbath, Jesus. How could you do it on the Sabbath? Jesus says, well, there's this. My father's working until now and I am working In verses 17 and 18, go on to say, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. How was he making himself equal with God? If you think about the way in which the Sabbath was given to us, six days our creator God worked, the seventh he rested, the fourth commandment says you ought to rest as well. Spend your day in worship. Spend the day resting, reflecting on the greatness of God. And Jesus says that's true. His Father created and then rested. But His Father did not cease to do anything, did He? 
No, his father is still doing. He's upholding the universe by the word of his mouth. And even more, after rebellion that led to the fall into sin, the Bible says the father set out to do the most grandiose work the world has ever known. He sent his son into the world to save sinners and to restore creation. Oh, Jesus is saying it's not as though the Father didn't do any work. No, the Father is working. His creative, his creative power has ceased, but his upholding and his redeeming power is being applied. And Jesus is saying, I am here to do that work. And that's why the Jews hated him. To believe that Jesus is the incarnation of the redemptive intent of Jesus Christ was more was more than they could believe. You see what's happening here? He said John in such a beautiful and masterful way. He's saying what Jesus warned the lame man against, the worst sin, denying the powerful mercy of Jesus Christ is exactly what the Jews did. And so this morning I have two things to say to you as I conclude this sermon. The first is an easy thing. It's a joyful thing. It's a glad thing. I say it with joy. The powerful mercy of Jesus Christ is God's redemptive intention in this world. There is nothing beyond beyond the power of our Savior. No matter how hopeless your situation might be, let me assure you this morning, there is hope in Jesus Christ. He loves you. And even though you may not see exactly what this man saw, that is Jesus saying to you, rise up and walk, you've been healed, it's all gone. Jesus is absolutely applying that compassion, that power in your life in some way. It may be harder for you to see. You may struggle, wrestle with believing it is true. But John says in huge and powerful words, it is absolutely the case. But the other thing I have to say to you this morning is a warning. And I say this with a solemn face and with some dread in my heart. That it also is a temptation to every person, especially religious people, to look past the powerful mercy of Jesus Christ And to instead of reveling in the powerful mercy of Jesus Christ, look at all the places in which the objects of that mercy, other people, are less than we want them to be. But to focus not on the mercy of Jesus Christ, but to have a condemning spirit of those who are around. The psalmist says, the law of the Lord is good, reviving the soul. That's absolutely true. But that law, that law is to be followed by those who have been transformed out of love. (laughs) Not out of compulsion. And friend, this morning as you listen to the sermon, think well and deep. Both about the mercy of Jesus Christ, but then the warning that is equally entailed. May you know clearly and may you hold on with all of your heart to the compassionate power that gives us hope like no other. Would you join me in prayer?
Father, a few chapters later in John chapter 12, there's a request made when people come to see Jesus. They ask His disciples, show us Jesus, bring us to Him. And we ask that that is what might have happened here this morning, that we would come to Jesus and we would know in Him a hope that is unlike any other hope that might exist. Father, in whatever way you ask, uh, we ask that you would apply that to our hearts, do not simply what we ask. Do it in a perfect way, in your way, even if we cannot understand what you were doing in the moment. We thank you. We rejoice in all the ways in which we see that happening already. We rejoice, Lord, in those that you're doing a great work. Father, you are good. And we are thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come with hope and with expectation that the same Jesus who applied this compassion so powerfully in this man's heart would do that also for each one of us and many more. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.